Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits, a research for meeting your favorite movies and shows. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Today we are talking about HBO's The Last of Us, Episode 3, Long, Long Time. Yes. And that is how this episode felt, <laughs> but in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah. I think we are both emotionally devastated. Yes. <laughs> which a lot of people are going to be saying in recaps for this episode, but I think we mean it. <laughs> for long-time <laughs> listeners, you know we are emotional watchers. I Actually, I don't want to speak for both of us. That's mainly me. We're both me. emotional yeah. watchers. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> if you are a first-time listener, welcome. We are excited to cover The Last of Us for HBO. We're going to continue keeping our promise to our listeners that you know we have screeners and we don't want to go ahead with the show and mm-hmm. we want to try to have an authentic reaction with yeah, all of the watch listeners week to week. yeah exactly so that's what we've been trying to do we got to watch this episode twice which is nice because it is a pretty packed episode mm-hmm. so for context i played the entire part one video game myself james steck and adam volerich did a deep dive exploration of the game and all that worked and didn't fully work for us specifically me i think i, I had a lot of criticisms about the story <laughs> even though i love the game so I kind of know what's going to go down this season, or at least I I thought I knew <laughs> because I was kind of blown away at the changes in this episode three adaptation. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about today, like what the major changes are from the video game. But Kelsey, you got to experience this episode as a newbie. Yes. Someone who's never played the game. Yeah. And I think as far as plot and character, episode one was still the best for me so far, just because okay. there was that like heartbreaking shock and also it's just really interesting to see what would happen if there were to be this like really quick infected like transformation apocalypse. to our world yeah, yeah. so I-, I loved episode one but episode three is like really close for me right now i think episode three is the best episode for me so far because while episode one is the most i think effective mm-hmm. uh storytelling it's really beat by beat the video game and okay. I love the video game story, obviously, even though like we have issues, I had issues with it. And again, go listen to that episode. But I think episode three is taking the most creative shots. And I appreciate it for that reason. Yeah. So if this is your first time listening, go back to our feed to listen to our thoughts on episode one and two, mm-hmm. because we loved parts of it, liked most of it. And I think felt a little complicated about some of it, which I'm interested to listen to the video game pod that you all did uh, when I'm done with this, when yeah. I can, <laughs> so I don't get spoiled, but Uh, let's go ahead and talk about episode two really quick. Just Mm -hmm. a quick recap before we get into our reactions for episode three. Let's do it. Okay. So I thought that episode two was really about like establishing the connections between Ellie and Joel through the loss of Tess and this kind of silent promise that Joel and Tess have to save who you can. And we're also learning some of the rules of the world. So first, I just want to start this episode by giving extra credit to myself, okay? Because <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. Last time I talked a lot about Tess, obviously, and I was thinking about how I wasn't really, I wasn't totally connected to Tess's character. Yeah. But I was really upset to see her die, and I think that obviously has to do with Anna Torv's performance. She was great, incredible. But also, I think the energy that Tess's character was bringing and how she was challenging Joel, like for example, when Joel wanted to take Ellie back to the QZ. He had this kind of like not my problem mentality. And I think that was partially because he maybe thought he was going to be the one to have to kill her. And um, he didn't actually think she was immune. But Tess had hope. And we started to see her wanting to save Ellie yeah. and do what was right and not just, you know, protect themselves and and try to get Ellie to the Fireflies medical base. Mm-hmm. So 
I mentioned though how I felt like I started thinking about Tess's backstory when Tess yeah. tells Ellie to stop jokingly twitching at the very beginning of the episode where they woke up and Ellie had that like chicken sandwich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the biggest chicken sandwich of all time. Yeah. Well, they had that really stale jerky. And apparently the showrunner said that they were originally going to have a scene in episode two where they flash back to Tessa's husband and son getting infected. Interesting. And I guess I, Tess had to shoot her husband, but she couldn't kill her kid and just left him in the basement. And I think he is now a clicker. And I mean, that's tragic. And and it's cool because I could sense that from the beats in the story. Um, and also like Tessa's character, I was really thinking about like, oh, what was her life before? Especially when she was telling Joel, you know, I didn't ask you for things. Like I didn't mm -hmm. ask you to feel the way I felt. And I was like thinking about Tess's tragic life beforehand. Probably yeah, That hits different now. I didn't know that. That tells me that we'll probably get more Tess flashbacks this season because Maybe, I don't think we yeah. really knew anything about Tess after she died in the game. Yeah, I guess because we get one this episode too. Um, yeah. But also in episode two, I think we are learning about the rules in this like apocalyptic world in The Last of Us. It is trying to establish itself as something different than mm -hmm. like a zombie, you know, movie or show, which we are kind of inundated with, even though I, I like zombie stories. Sure. And we learned that the infected are connected across the city. So you have to be really careful of where you walk. And they have this like <laughs> hive mind, which adds a, a dangerous element to the story. Yeah, right. So we've learned that there is this infected network. Let's just yeah. call it that because I think we're going to keep running into this the whole season, but this isn't really in the video game. And all we really know is that there is this like mutated stage of the infected and the infected network. That's kind of what we're introduced to in episode two, which we have like the normal infected. And then we have these clickers who mm -hmm. can't see, but they can hear and they're frightening in the game and in, and in the show, <laughs> yeah. even though we did laugh on episode two that it is kind of funny in the show it does look like a bunch of dudes running around with yeah. just like masks on their head <laughs> but it's still effective i made an a plus uh winklevoss twins joke yeah uh, big go social back and network <laughs> podcast um but you also you were talking about when we watched it you're like this feels like stranger things like the demogorgon yeah and i didn't you see somewhere in an article that the same people from stranger things actually made the costume or yeah i was like wow this is really heavily inspired by stranger things and then we find out Literally, the Stranger Things designer, designers made this That's these cool. costumes. Yeah. So we also know things like Boston and other major cities have basically become wastelands because of bombs that the government sent down that we're going to get into. And we mm -hmm. talked a lot about last episode. And that leaves the infected everywhere. So episode two kind of gives us, like what Kelsey said, the rules of this apocalyptic world, but also the vibe for the rest of the season. Like there's going to be lots of crouching, silence. There's going to be clicking, <laughs> a lot of tears. Uh, but we should probably dive into episode three long, long time. Yeah. If anybody wants to hear our deep dive in episode two, just go back to our feed. Kelsey, Yeah. I want you to know, if you wanted to 86 life during an apocalypse, that I would peace out with you. It's corny, but it's... Romantic. <laughs> Objectively. <laughs> Objectively. Not today, you new world order jackboot. My name's Frank. Here's the thing, Frank. If I feed you, then every bum you talk to about it is going to show up here looking for a free lunch. And this is not an Arby's. Well, Arby's didn't have free lunch. It was a restaurant. <laughs> Sooner or later, there'll be raiders. They'll come at night, quiet, and armed. Call Joel. We'll be fine. 
Okay, so what do you think about the 15-minute opener of Joel and Ellie before going back into the past in 2003? Because Joel and Ellie's storyline kind of acts as the cold open to this episode that has nothing really to do with Joel and Ellie until the end. Yeah, I guess it does serve as a cold open just because this is more Frank and Bill's story. Mm -hmm. And so we are spending, we aren't spending that much And so we aren't spending that much time with Ellie and Joel in this episode, Mm -hmm. but we're seeing how their lives kind of connect. Yeah. I love when Ellie says, are your friends nice? And Joel (laughs) goes, Frank is. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That hit differently on the second watch because you don't know much about Frank from the video game. But now that I've, you know, we saw it the first time. Yeah. That really made me laugh the second time. (laughs) Yeah. And we got more clarity about how the, the fungus grew in flower. So we saw in episode two that people at the actual flower plant in Indonesia mm-hmm. were infected first, but then people bought products with flour in it, ate it. And then I guess the world was gone in like 48 hours. Except for the survivalist, yeah, like Bill, that's true. the immune and <laughs> the gluten-free. Yeah. <laughs> like us. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I also like kind of the small moments where Ellie is appreciating the things on this hike that we take for granted in our life. Like she's talking about being in nature for the first time or seeing that airplane that had crashed Mm -hmm. for like the first time she'd ever seen an airplane. So I like that as a reoccurring character trait for her. They also do it with the piano in the car toward the end of the episode. Felt like that was the first time she had heard piano. Yeah. The music. I think first time she ever heard live music, I guess. Well, because she's heard the eighties, you know, song on the radio or things like that, but I guess live music. Yeah. But before we go too much deeper on this hike, I think we should say in the immediate open of the show, we have these beautiful shots of the wilderness, like Mm -hmm. really great cinematography with Ozark level coloring (laughs) that I'm usually out on since Ozark, but the blues looked great with the grays. I like Mm -hmm. that a lot. And Joel is seen like making this burial site for Tess, I guess, which is a really sad opener that they don't really acknowledge. Yeah. I didn't catch it until I watched it the second time. Yeah. And even like Ellie is trying to talk to Joel about you know, Tess, but they do have an important conversation, even though he's unwilling to talk about Tess, where mm-hmm. Ellie says, Hey, no one made you take me it, like, and take me to the fireflies. Yeah. And she tells him he made his own choices. And she also tells him you're, you can't blame me for something that isn't my fault. Mm-hmm. And Joel kind of respects that she stuck up for herself and told it like it is, which is a good relationship building moment for them. And thematically, the show is obviously about choices and consequences so again, I, I like the small moments of thematic meaning in the in the dialogue that seems kind of like just mundane conversation, but will have meaning later on in the story. Yeah, I like that scene too. And I, I like these kind of like quiet moments that you could pass over, but are are slowly building Ellie and Joel's character where they don't want to like jump too quickly. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So we also have Ellie and Joel going into a gas station that's abandoned mm-hmm. and Ellie scores some tampons and (laughs) also cuts into an infected person's face, which I guess like at first I was like, okay, maybe she's curious. Um, and maybe she's desensitized, obviously maybe seeing infected. Although she says she hasn't seen an infected right when they're in the city. No, no, no. She 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 got bit by one. She got bit by one. That was the one she had seen. Right. Okay. So, but, but anyway, so the cutting in, I was like, okay, well maybe she's like curious of what, it actually looks like inside growing. Mm -hmm. But then we have that like really intense kill. It looked like she was like killing a bug. And I was like, should we be worried for Ellie? (laughs) Um, maybe. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I thought it was extreme too. I think I, I viewed the scene as more like torture than I did curiosity. 
I'm going to say no comment for the majority of this conversation well, when the, it comes the to kill Ellie. especially looked like torture. It was. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this something the walking dead did right about being an apocalypse show, even though they use zombies versus show using the infected is how a child's mind can be affected by growing up in an apocalyptic event. Oh yeah. So that moment with Ellie wasn't that disturbing considering she's been surrounded by death and terror since her birth. But regardless, I think we'll understand more why she is this way as we go through the season. Okay, yeah. And after we hit up the gas station, uh, we also just really quick that like little latch hatch that she went through Mm -hmm. was like a horror movie. Yeah, I thought she was going to use reference prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was really (laughs) funny. But I thought when she dropped something down there to like jump down there, it hit like a body. And like when she, when Joel's like, what are you doing I in there? And she's I'd like, seen infected below. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like nothing. And her head like turns to the doorway to say nothing. And the camera stays on the hole right beneath her. I was like, mm-hmm. something going to grab her and pull <laughs> her in. I definitely thought that was going to turn into a horror, horror sequence. Yeah. Okay. So after we hit up the gas station, we have Ellie and Joel walking and he says, I don't want to go this way. Like, I don't think you should see this. And obviously Ellie is curious and she wants to know the truth at all times, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But she ends up walking up to a site where we see that the government ended up killing people who couldn't fit in the QZ, the quarantine zones. And yeah. then we flash to those same people being picked up and taken out of their communities. Yeah, which is another cold open with a subtext of historical context, which I'm kind of wondering if that's what they're going to do with every episode now. Mm -hmm. Like in episode two, we had the bomb conversation in Indonesia, and that was sort of a callback to Hiroshima, which was a messy message that we got into last episode. Mm -hmm. And this time in episode three, we see that this community was killed by this tyrannical government. And Joel says that the government's justification was that dead people can't be infected. And that seemed like a callback to the Holocaust and genocide. And while that's an interesting connection, I think the story is essentially fear-mongering people about the government by saying, look at how terrible some governments have been in the past. And that makes these cold opens sort of complicated because then as the audience, we're forced to project our own contemporary reality onto the massacre, especially because of the pandemic. Yeah. And while, of course, I think it's important to look at how countries and governments and ultimately people have failed in the past responding to critical events, Mm -hmm. it did seem a little uncomfortable to see this like failing government message with Bill's character at the beginning of episode three, because there was a subtle message of like, we shouldn't trust the government in a global pandemic, which in an actual global pandemic, like we saw people see people distrusting experts, public workers, scientists, like, and that led to putting other people's lives in danger. So exactly the story, like the storyline didn't necessarily valorize Bill or other characters dialogue with Joel or Ellie kind of saying that the government is responsible for all wrongdoing or this Mm -hmm. kind of like uh, nearing like fascist government rhetoric, but it did strangely validate Bill's anti-authority like standpoint at some times without nuance. So I just feel like it was tricky in that it was conflating arguments at times. And I think that I want to be clear, like I'm talking about the cold opens like in 2003 and Mm -hmm. the, the time where we're in what is like a starting pandemic world in the show and not about, I think what is more like fictionalized and has a little bit more of like creative freedom, which is Fedra. Yeah. Because that feels more like a dystopian, like hunger games Mm -hmm. or, uh, what's the one with, uh, Shailene Woodley, 
uh, that's not Maze Runner. It's uh, Divergent. Yes, yeah. So uh, like that, Fedra feels like within that realm. But when we're making these like government, I guess statements or arguments in 2003, they are I think purposely like a close to home political statement. Yes, very purposely. I think the show though is doing something tricky because it's highlighting Bill's irrational paranoia that is very important to unpack considering the state of our country and how many people relate to that character. So I thought they were going to do something different with him at the top, but also the show is kind of like mainly interested in illustrating how Bill was actually right. Kind of what you're saying that the government is tyrannical and is a genocidal organization in 2003. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people might feel like we're overreading the character in the time of 2003, but seeing the don't tread on me flag, gave me like a physical reaction Mm -hmm. because we live on the East coast. And I know most of our listeners are in big cities like New York, Brooklyn, LA, Cali, Chicago, but we're on the East coast and the don't tread on me. People make public workers lives very difficult. Mm -hmm. And it was really weird to see how bill was written in that way. Because on one hand, I appreciated the comic beats of how absurd and paranoid he is almost like they were kind of talking about the character in a, a funny way because they're like, look how like crazy isolated this character is and look what he's done to himself. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the show was like kind of validating him and his concerns of big government, <laughs> like drain the swamp, drain it. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's not like Bill was written as a January 6th capital riot radical, obviously, yeah. but the show is consistently forgiving to like this self-interested demographic that are like disaffected citizens of a failed country mm-hmm. and that's such a confusing choice considering we live in the u.s and not a country going through political or religious civil wars unless you're like on cable news or watching that yeah. every night so i don't know i think we're kind of both me and you are allergic to when storytelling capitalizes on political and social unrest mm-hmm. without actually adding anything helpful to the conversation like this show was made in the middle of the pandemic not before it so that feels right. intentional And, you know, maybe it's because we live in the United States and we are around really intense, divisive rhetoric and propaganda that is already causing disaffected people to be paranoid and isolate themselves or be self-interested and to pinpoint all societal failures on the government, local, state and national without really a lot of nuance, especially where we live. So, again, it, it was uncomfortable to see this show three episodes in a row now, even though I really enjoy it, have a political stance that really lacks nuance about how society can stay intact. Yeah. And I know later on in the episode, we do get Frank saying he doesn't agree with Bill's paranoid beliefs about pre-Fedra government. Yeah. And Frank is a foil to Bill's character in that regard. Yeah. You know, like Frank represents looking for solutions, I think, instead of this complete mistrust that Bill symbolizes at the beginning of this episode. Mm -hmm. But the reality is... A pandemic dystopian show just has like different responsibilities and stakes in 2023 than a show like The Walking Dead would have coming out in 2010. For sure. Because it's about a pandemic, like in a pandemic. So it's like monetized the pandemic in a way. It's like making money off of it. Yeah. Like it felt similar to the last episode where we were presented with that false dilemma in the cold open, which we talked about with the bombing of the city as like the only option. And Later on, we do again have something similar to Frank's like small piece of dialogue where Tess says that the bombing didn't actually work everywhere. Yeah. But again, it like wasn't really enough to interrogate the idea and it felt less like a conversation about what could have been and more about an isolated or like reactionary 
double down Mm -hmm. idea. And like, for example, what I think would be more interesting. So people just don't think I'm like nitpicking. I, I would have liked to see something like a storyline of a scientist in part of the cold open, like the, the seventies, uh, from before, Mm -hmm. or maybe even current, more current, like the nineties, uh, trying to make a pandemic plan and maybe not getting like funding for their project. I think that would be way more interesting. No, I think it's a good idea, but it's just easier to sell stories that validate people's biggest fears. And that was my only criticism of the video game story. In our video game pod, we talk a lot about that. And now in the show, The Last of Us is politically and ethically kind of manipulative for these commercial reasons that we're talking about. These aren't very like artistic reasons they're doing these things for. It's not really trying to provoke people with uncomfortable ideas about how to challenge and fix problems. It's really just provoking people with cultural issues that we haven't healed from or Mm -hmm. aren't fully resolved. So this show can sometimes teeter on kind of exploitative writing like that. And even though it's like well-crafted and acted, and I guess we're lucky to have a show that is as good as this, I kind of fear that Craig Mazin is only going to clean up some of the Druckmann false ethical dilemmas from the game. Yeah. It, like if you're introducing a moral argument, like bombing a city or the government killing people and yeah. sweeping it under the rug, it's it just felt, at least in the show, like a lot of generalized emotional moments that don't really show nuance of larger issues. Like yes. Ellie, a teenager, literally has a line where she says, the government failed to prevent a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> felt like rhetoric I might see on a cable news channel. Yeah, and yeah. you know, they never return to these ideas beyond Frank's dialogue. So I don't know, it just felt kind of cheap. Not that we can't have these ideas in a story. I think that's interesting. It's just that... Uh, there are other choices that you could introduce to get more at complexities or what a society might be missing that could lead up to an event like this. That's what Mm -hmm. I find way more interesting in a story. Kind of like the cold open with the 1968 uh, talk show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So now that we kind of have that conversation out of the way, because I think it's important, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the crushing narrative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So did this episode line up with your predictions from the end of episode two? Yeah. Uh, well, sort of. So my one prediction was that we would see Nick Offerman, but yes. again, I think I was like plugged by an algorithm on Instagram. I saw Nick <laughs> Offerman and I was trying to stay away from all trailers. So I knew he was coming up yeah. and I thought he was going to be like a longtime character in this show. I thought he was going to be alive. Uh, that's what he is in the video game. He's alive. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get okay. to that. Okay. Um, so my larger prediction, though, was last time on the podcast, I said that we were going to meet new groups of people, kind yes. of who we were hearing about in episode one when the, the radio guy, um, I guess like everyone's bringing all the things to the radio guy. He has a lot of power, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's telling him about all these. He's a podcaster, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he's the pandemic podcaster. Uh, but he basically is telling Joel about all these dangers kind of outside of the QZ. And so when I saw Nick Offerman and I see him in this town, I was like, okay, mayor from the walking dead storyline. <laughs> let's go. Like we're going to see a clash. The episode's going to be this interesting dynamic of like a self-made town sure. and all the people in it. None of that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, episode three, I think really served as a side plot that I loved. And it showed us a glimpse of what Joel was doing between the 20 years. I know we only get a snippet, but like yeah. since he's lost Sarah 
and it establishes the loss of friends. So we know that Joel had friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, big air quotes though for Bill's sake, right? Because in his letter, he's like, I didn't really like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it also has this idea in it that there could be love in a world that is collapsing around people. That I think is the main positive point from episode three, mm-hmm. which is that you can find purpose and connection even in the most terrible circumstances. Mm-hmm. Though Bill and Frank did totally have like a whole community to themselves. <laughs> it was kind of like kind of a selfish act to keep this like utopia to themselves. And it was like romantic, obviously. Uh, but you know, it was sad too. And their relationship is beautiful and sad at the same time. But that's what I'm kind of saying about these writers. It feels like they are pushing on cultural wounds. Like, you know, Bill wants to create this kind of like community because he hates the government, but he's also becoming this own totalitarian leader of his own mini community that he won't (laughs) let people in and that he's like shooting people who are trying to get in. And uh, I don't know, they, they do a good job of making it digestible for mass audiences, but I fear kind of like the manipulative writing will be something that we're going to have to keep talking about in each episode. Yeah. Every time we bring up a good thing, it's like, I got to bring well, it's up because you forget thing. about all the kind of like arguments that are being made because there are really like emotional, like human moments at the center of these stories that you are overwhelmed by. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, you, and are really effective too, like, and, and tell a interesting story about human emotion, but yeah, then you don't like take a closer look at like what you're talking about, which I think is more what Bill was doing. Cause there's a conflict within their relationship which we'll see later on where you know frank wants to let people in like he wants more connection i think and yeah. bill is just so ultimately not trusting of anyone and i mean you He's know in certain situations yeah. like i think the people who were actually coming in were trying to shoot at him so mm-hmm. um there's there's that but i think <laughs> we've seen you know we've seen uh the walking dead situations that where <laughs> you can travel with people and, and have connections. It but, is possible. Which yes. Frank ultimately wanted. So that was sad too. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, so we're introduced to Nick Offerman who I think is a character or not a character, a person I associate most with the character, Ron Swanson. I associate Nick Offerman more with Ron Swanson than I do Nick Offerman. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand why you said that. Which, uh, I think, I was like thinking about Parks and Rec as we were watching this and I was like, what if the infection broke out at the Parks and Recreation building? Who would you have like money on surviving? Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I don't follow much of the Parks team now that the show is over. I think my hope would be that Aubrey Plaza would survive (laughs) like in a treehouse somewhere. Wait, are these the actors we're talking about? The characters? Uh, The characters, but I feel like... I guess April could survive in that treehouse. Something tells (laughs) me... Was there a treehouse that was built? No, I'm just saying that's something weird she would do. Just like this eccentric (laughs) thing that she would make in a tree. Uh, But something tells me Chris Pratt is probably leading some kind of like religious revolution (laughs) down south. Maybe he's like starting the Guardians of the Galaxy youth group or something. (laughs) Just preparing people for the next apocalypse. (laughs) That's so funny. I just like I feel like they would all ultimately from Leslie Nope's, you know, leadership barricade the building. Mm -hmm. And that would be a great episode where like Leslie and Ron, I think would ultimately team up because I think Ron Swanson is probably also a survivalist. I haven't watched the movie in a long time. The (laughs) show. I haven't watched the show. Thank you. And I, I think like Tom would probably just like throw Jerry in front of him (laughs) at an infected just to escape just total chaos. And as I was thinking about this question, I also would love to see John Ralphio and <laughs> Jenny Slate's character in The Last of Us. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Get Jenny Slate on season two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but okay, so we start in 2003 
Bill, Nick Offerman's character, hides in this like really uh, cool panic room <laughs> basement <laughs> underneath I've never the heard dresser. someone say that phrase before. <laughs> cool panic room. <laughs> Just because I thought the dresser was interesting. And, yeah. you know, I... I was like, I got to get one of those for like a party trick or, you know, when people have bookcases that open up to another room, like a, a Harry Potter secret room vibe. I only see secret rooms in entertainment, like television and film. I don't yeah. actually see them in real life. Well, that's true. But yeah. anyway, so <laughs> it sounds cool. I'll obviously actually never do it. It sounds expensive. But yeah. um, Bill comes out to an empty community and he starts gathering supplies from like the hardware store, the different shops in town, the wine and spirits store. He turns on the gas, uh, gets the water, makes like a generator for electricity. And also he's eating meat through this. And I was mm -hmm. wondering, I know he had a cow. I, I know he like killed a cow and kept it in a freezer. Yeah. But how long is that lasting him? Not and sure. I don't know if it was like confirmed where he's getting his protein. There must be a farm <laughs> nearby or something. And he, I know he does have like chickens there too. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe the farm was cut out. Quick question though. Would you have taken any other supplies besides like the Home Depot supplies mm. or food and gas or making this mini farm? Like what else would you have gone and got? I feel like you already thought way ahead where I, where <laughs> I would have been. I it did seem awfully <laughs> well planned. <laughs> I mean, he was a survivalist in this or whatever, right? He was a uh, Hugh Jackman in prisoners just like yeah. uh, storing up, but two prisoners references. Obviously in one I think that a buying in bulk store, like a, a Sam's club, a Costco yes. is obviously a great choice, but everyone would go there. So well, I don't know what we know from our own pandemic. Everyone did go to the Costco. So That's not a true. good place to go. So, to. Yeah. So off limits. I don't know. What would you do? Uh, no idea. I think <laughs> I, I, my first thought was weapons to like secure myself. Okay. Uh, but seeing his basement, I think he's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he also sets up this whole place with trap wires and shoots the infected who are like coming across. He, he kind of like makes his own ring doorbell system. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did think it was like a little creepy when we saw the infected like get shot and he's like, that never gets old. It's like a, a little intense. Very Ron Swanson moment too. Um, it was kind of disturbing, but I will say in the game, Bill is pretty disturbed and it isn't just him being paranoid. Like he is highly reactionary and aggressive. Okay. So I thought that was actually a good moment when I first watched it to show where he would go from there. Gotcha. Okay. So we jumped to 2007 though, where we, we have that really cool song. And, oh, the white room. <laughs> yeah. And in Frank, the white room. Yeah. <laughs> in the white room. And Frank comes along and he, I guess, you know, like is, is getting things from like outside communities. He has this boat as his massive storage unit. That was right? smart. Yeah. And he, so maybe he does have a farm elsewhere, but yeah, we end up seeing Frank getting trapped in this hole or, or trap that Bill has created. Mm -hmm. And I laughed when Bill asked Frank, do you have a gun? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, why are you taking so long to answer? Yeah. And Frank was saying, you know, I was trying to think if it would be good to lie or not. And yeah, yeah. that just made me laugh because it made me think of something I would do. Like, I literally thought of you <laughs> when that happened. That is so funny. Just like making the situation worse by thinking. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> this is when Bill has to make this decision, which is kind of the theme of the episode. If you're looking at it in like the most positive light, you know, uh, that he doesn't want to let someone in yeah. and he's trying to figure out if he should trust someone. And when he does, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of a weak theme because what I already noted, like he lets one person in Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for like self-interest and 
You know, I don't know about that. We'll get back into it a little bit later. I will say Frank is jacked. And he picked the right guy to let in. Murray yeah. Bartlett is the actor who plays him. And he's also in White Lotus, apparently, which is not a show we really kind of kept up with. I think we watched the first episode or two. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was fantastic in this show. He plays a great Frank. I don't know why they had to give him that wig that he's wearing, but my guy can act. Yeah. I didn't notice the wig. Um, wigs. I don't know why wigs. I can always just spot them out. You spot them. Yeah. Well, I think on men, because the back of the head, it looks like a, like a some kind of Theo Vaughn cut going on in the okay. back. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they are in a pandemic, so like the mullet Is, makes sense. Yeah. It's in fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill, you know, lets Frank in. Uh, but he's on high alert, you know, yeah. and, and so am I as a viewer of a dystopian society, yeah. right? And and Bill's kind of like walking around with his hands out ready for a threat at any moment. Mm-hmm. But that slowly goes away as, you know, Frank is like, wait, hot shower? Yeah. Wait, a better dinner than like we had tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wine? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I also want to add that after Frank takes the first bite and is like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I died laughing both times I watched this episode. Yeah, it was funny. And and then Frank wants to play the piano before he leaves and he does it so badly and Bill is yeah. like, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> and he like sits down and plays Long, Long Time, which was a song I, I didn't know before this, but it was really nice. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy has a heart and mm-hmm. it's just nice to see characters still able to find connection in a really like desolate world and yeah, it's something yeah. that you don't always think about in shows like just love existing and what we find important and it made me think of like maggie and glenn in the walking dead oh my god i love maggie and glenn yeah also when frank is like did you sing that about a girl and bill's like there is no girl and frank is like i know i'm like damn i know i already knew it <laughs> that was a good i know i was like these guys have a great romance uh, yeah. and it takes off after that Love it was fantastic but there's no one at my side and time washes clean love's wounds unseen that's what someone told me but i don't know what it means cause i done everything I know to try and make you mine and I think I'm gonna love you for a long long time So, who's the girl? The girl you're singing about. There is no girl. I know. So we jump to 2010 and it opens to a fight, which 
I actually wasn't expecting Bill and Frank to develop a long-term relationship just because we were introduced to Bill, who was like so untrusting at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. But they could have easily cut to another romantic moment, but I think it was more realistic to show that their relationship had really developed to like open to a fight. Mm -hmm. And so Frank is like, we're going to have friends. And Bill says, we don't have friends. (laughs) You know, we will never have friends because there are no friends to be had. Yeah. And then Frank was like, I've actually been talking to a nice woman on the radio. And Bill's like, you what? (laughs) And at uh, this point I was sitting quiet, like, here we go. Because I thought the fight was this introduction to what I thought was great context for the story. Because you know, again, something happens totally different in the video game, but we're going to get to that in my extra credits. So I don't want to step on it now. Okay. Well, we'll finish up with this storyline then. Okay. So we jumped to Tess and Joel eating lunch. Yeah. What a surprise. Yeah. And Bill, which I didn't notice at first just because she had brown hair. Okay. Um, and so Bill's eating lunch with a gun on the table. And we As learned Bill does. Yeah. That Tess and Frank, I think, have the radio code of music that we saw in Tess and Joel's apartment. Mm -hmm. It was kind of hard to tell because with the screeners, you don't have subtitles. So when they were saying goodbye, uh, you know, Frank was suggesting that they could have some sort of code over the radio. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe it's, it's music. Someone let us know if you had the subtitles, but Joel ultimately warns Frank about the Raiders that we're going to see later on in this episode. And I think they, they don't say it in the episode, but I think they do end up trading considering that the fence was electrocuting people later on. It was holding up. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they did. I don't okay. think they made the trade. Okay. Cause they he, got, he made it a big deal that they, well, he didn't make it a big deal, but he was surprised that Frank had traded strawberries when we move on in 2013 oh, that's for true. a gun. So that kind of implied that was the first major trade they've made. Okay. Maybe though. I mean, that's I possible. think he could have yeah. just been upset in 2013 that he traded a gun specifically for that's true. like strawberry seeds. Yeah. But then that takes us to three years later in 2013, where we we get the strawberries. Those yeah. strawberries looked awesome. <laughs> they looked incredible. And it was a really sweet scene, too. I think we can actually assume that the gun they got from Frank uh, and, I guess, Bill, even though Bill wasn't, wasn't down for that, is the revolver Joel has. And he keeps oh, on his okay. wayside. Because in the game, that revolver is like Joel's gun. But they never explain the origins of that gun. And at least I don't think they did. So I like that. It's like yeah. this like subtle like choice to be like, here's a nod to the video game players. Yeah, that's cool. And yeah. and then in the middle of the night, the Raiders come, Bill gets shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, this is so sad when he was saying call Joel to Frank. Yeah. Okay. So that was a tragic scene and I hear you, but why the hell was my guy Bill out there saying he's a survivor to Joel, but he's taking shots in the middle of the street. <laughs> That's true. Wait, at, why isn't he behind something? <laughs> yeah. We're like, take cover. <laughs> and also, do we feel bad for those bandits? Aren't those people just like looking for shelter and resources? Like, yeah, but they're also like not, you know, like I'm even calling them bandits or like invaders, but these guys like Frank, <laughs> Frank and Bill have like monopolized this whole community, Sure, but they're also like shooting at them. So yeah. Yeah. Of course. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're also getting burnt to death. So yeah, that was. I was confused about how that technology worked too. I, I guess we haven't even talked about that. But I was like, how did he create the the flame kind of thrower device? Yeah, it yeah. Didn't yeah. seem like it would go that far, or just like there seemed like enough of them where if it happened to one, it wouldn't keep happening to all the other ones. Because he was at one point when he got shot, he was like, "Don't worry, the fence will get the rest of them." Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't they figure out something else i don't know i don't know it was very effective i don't know where he learned it either i don't know yeah but it was it was tragic and 
Bill was alive, though, to our surprise when we cut to 2023, 10 years later. So we're what, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think story. he was going to be dead? Yeah. 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 I, I felt like uh, it just made sense. And, mm-hmm. and that was going to be our tragic ending. And because I just didn't realize that we would get a full episode of Bill and Frank, which I, I loved. But I didn't know either. Yeah. I just thought when we had this gunshot wound for Bill, I was like, okay, we're going to go back to like Ellie and Joel's story. Like we've kind of started in the the show. And then when they cut to 2023 and they show someone in the, in the wheelchair, did you think it was Bill? Cause my immediate reaction was like, Oh, Bill, oh, because like he got paralyzed because of the shot. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't think about it. I was yeah. just thinking, Oh, he's alive. That's awesome. And then it was Frank. Yeah. And I don't think the show ended up telling us, but I think he had some sort of either like spinal cord damage or, a muscular disease, but we saw that, you know, he can't do things that he enjoys anymore yeah. and he, he can't, you know, paint or do his art. Well, he's still painting like a pro. Let me tell you, because yeah. I saw that painting and I was like, I cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like when, uh, to be on a lighter note here, I like when Bill's giving Frank his pills and he's like, this is the one orangey one oh, and yeah. the one whitey <laughs> and the big roundy. <laughs> yeah, that was really cute. But ultimately, you know, it's such a tragic ending to this episode. Yeah. We have Frank wake up and, and tell Nick Offerman's character, Bill, that this is his last day. Mm-hmm. He can't do anything that he enjoys anymore. And he's like tired. He's in pain. So especially when we, we get the moment on the couch where Frank is telling Bill how he wants to spend his last day, Nick Offerman's performance is really sad. Yeah, it was incredible. I've never seen him in that emotional state before as a performer. Yeah, and then we have this emotional just last sequence of the movie where a violin song is swelling mm-hmm. as we see different moments of their life, like the garden and where Frank paints, and then they get married, and I think yeah. they also have the same wine that they did when they first met. Good catch. I was wondering if that was the same wine. I think I think it was. Okay, and I've totally also, forgot about for that. listeners, if you caught that, or if you know where this song is from, I know I've heard this song yeah. in another movie or TV show. It was driving me crazy, so if you know. Uh, then we get to the really hard-hitting moment in the episode where Bill crushes up the pills and Obviously, we know that Frank is going to drink his wine with mm-hmm. the pills in it. But then after we understand that Bill has also crushed up pills to put in the wine bottle in general and his drink. Yeah. And Bill says, you know, this isn't the tragic suicide at the end of the play. I'm old. I'm satisfied. And you were my purpose. And mm-hmm. Frank replies, you know, I don't support this and I should be furious. But from an objective point of view, it's incredibly romantic. Yeah. It's like literally a Romeo and Juliet moment. Yeah. And, you know, I think that like we were having conversations uh, along this. I was like, I wouldn't want to live in this pandemic without you. So I was almost not surprised. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But it reminded me of a line from one of my favorite movies. Our favorite movies. Okay, sure. Yes. Just to be clear. Yes. About time. And so if you don't want this spoiled, just go forward like 30 seconds. But the mom at the end says, I'm furious, you know, that your father is sick. I'm entirely uninterested in a life without him. Ugh. And killer, killer. Um, but so anyway, so Bill and Wait, Frank. Wait, Kels, quickly. Yeah. 10 year anniversary about time. September, I believe. Really? Yeah. Coming That's up. That's exciting. Guess who's potting about it? Uh, we are. <laughs> 100%. Uh, so, but then we have Bill and Frank go to their room and fall asleep with the window open. And so now we cut to 
present time. Mm-hmm. I guess we are we're in present time then. We were in 2023. It, yeah, but this could be like a few weeks later, a few months later. We don't know. Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't realize like that. It could be the pretty, next day. We yeah. have no idea. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Ellie and Joel arrive at Frank and Bill's and Joel is pretty like quietly devastated that Frank and Bill died, which means they've spent probably a lot of time together throughout these years. Yeah. Interacting. Yeah. Over the radio or in person. Yeah. I love when Ellie finds the letter, like, ti- yeah. like it says like title to whomever, but probably Joel. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that was the title of the episode. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I thought that was clever. And then Bella Ramsey's line reading at the end of this episode is pretty phenomenal. Like when she <laughs> reads Bill's letter and she uses Nick Offerman's laugh. Yeah. It's like she watched Parks or something. Cause she was like, he, 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 he. <laughs> I was like, what? I was dead. I can't believe she did that. That's so funny. Yeah. And, and Ellie and Joel, you know, are, are talking like throughout that letter. And we also see Joel morning test. Like he has to go outside and, and take a moment. So mm-hmm. I think this episode was ultimately also to humanize Joel because what we've seen so far, you asked me in episode one and two, do I feel a connection to Joel? And yeah. I didn't really, because he's just like quiet, stoic. And I had only kind of had a connection to him from what he had been through with Sarah and now Tess. Yeah, yeah. And so I think continuously, since he is a quiet character, we are having like layers added to his character of connection. So we're not totally out on him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's also, even though I like Pedro Pascal a lot, yeah, he, he is capital A acting in this episode. Like he goes outside and he takes a long moment to like take in all of his emotions. Obviously he's not a very, he's not really a showy emotional person. So that's kind of, everything is kind of internal, but like when he goes back inside, you made a comment about how low his voice is. He is really like acting in this, in this episode. Yeah. So I, I could understand why you're not completely like relating to him yet. I'm not sure you will this entire season, but I will say whatever. I still like his, I like to see his character in the story. No. And I like Pedro Pascal's performance and I like Joel's character in the show more than the game already, which I think you're going to find fascinating. Yeah. And then Ellie and Joel get to take a hot shower. They find deodorant. That is something that I didn't even think about until Ellie was like a score. And Ellie gets a gun, which I'm assuming will be important in at least maybe not next episode, but in the next few episodes, because Mm -hmm. Ellie continuously has been asking for a gun. Like it's been so clear at this point. There's just the repetition of that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I obviously think that Joel doesn't want it because she could get them into a tricky situation where if they're at risk, he could try to de-escalate it or... Okay, because that was one of my questions for you at the end that oh, I was okay. saving was, why do you think Joel is so protective over Ellie having a gun? Like, why is he like trying his best to hide weapons from her? Well, I think because he wants to make sure that he's safe. Like, okay. number one, uh, especially when he didn't know this like kid that he is traveling with. He didn't want a situation where she's trying to escape because ultimately in episode one and two she is being like held captive by them right. and by the fireflies. So, uh, but now I think she ultimately understands like I have no other path really. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I am the cure maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> from what we're told. So I think that, you know, Joel just didn't want to be in a situation one in the first part of the season where he was in danger because she could actually try to escape Mm-hmm. I guess. And then the second reason now though, I don't think he wants her to have a gun because they're going to meet other people. Like, I feel like we know that now that's one of my predictions and I feel like it will be true, yeah, yeah. but she could basically escalate a situation. Cause she's a kid. I read it as 
Joel was more still having PTSD about his daughter and like oh, guns. Okay. Uh, but they that haven't really shown a sign of that. And this whole show is going to be full of weapons and Joel will be firing a lot of them. Okay. Uh, but I, there was something about the game with the gun thing that was important in the beginning, but this feels like they're really coming back to it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, to the point where they're literally pointing to the gun and Ellie sneaks it in her backpack and we're kind of like talking about it on the pod of being like, that's going to be a major part of the next episode, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I am fascinated by that. Yeah. And then, like we said, she hears the piano, what we think for the first time and they get in the car, which is her first time just being in a car. She says it's like a spaceship yeah, and yeah. they set out to Wyoming. And then long, long time blast in the car, which yeah. was playing on the piano. Which and until our second watch, I didn't realize that that's what Bill was playing on the piano earlier. Yeah, I made the connection and listeners know I'm not good with music. And so <laughs> when I made that connection, I was it's like, Kelsey, it's the song for the piano. <laughs> uh, and the last shot is actually, we see the open window of Bill and Frank's room. And I just want to shout out the cin oh, yeah. cinematography again, because it's just a great shot. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's incredibly sad. And the showrunners made something beautiful in this episode, even if it is heavily complicated in its first 15 minutes yeah all right let's get to the extra credits of the last of us episode three long long time Kels, uh you went first last week actually so i should probably go okay go for it my extra credit goes to the show actually changing something and not being an, a mirror adaptation beat for beat of the game which i really respect so let's talk about bill in the game because i've been waiting to talk about this all episode yeah Ellie and Joel make it into the city to find bill for a car in the video game that's that's what they're trying to do and Bill is like begrudgingly helping them in the game. And Joel and Ellie just kind of need a battery from him. But he's like very sad and volatile. And I guess he's a survivor. But there weren't any like political symbols for his character. Like in the show, there wasn't this like subplot of him being like this libertarian adjacent character. Okay. So that was an interesting addition. But Bill is like this character after Tess that is supposed to teach Joel something along the way of his character journey. For Tess, Joel learned to connect again and have hope through Ellie and her immunity. Mm -hmm. And through Bill, Joel learned to not become a hermit and like isolate himself. And Bill kind of represented this extreme of what happens to a person if they lose someone they love. Because in the game, we learn from Bill that he lost a partner, someone who left him. And Bill tells Joel in the game to not get too close to Ellie because it's not worth his life to protect someone in this new world they're living in. Because, you know, Bill's gone through this tragedy of losing one of his partners who who left him because he didn't love Bill anymore. So Frank leaves Bill so, in the video game. Yeah. So we learn that Bill is a pessimist and he's a cynical version to an extreme of Joel, basically. And it's because we learn that Bill had a partner named Frank who left him. And uh, when they're going to look for the battery, like Bill, Joel, and Ellie, they find a dead body and they find Frank who died of suicide in this random house. Oh, wow. And they noticed that he was like bit. So they thought he maybe got infected and then uh, he ended his life. But when you're playing as Joel, you find this letter from Frank to Bill that essentially says Bill ruined Frank's life. And oh, wow. made him sad and he couldn't take isolating himself like Bill had done. And Frank needed community and believed in community. And I thought that was really powerful in the game. So I'm in a weird place right now because while I give extra credit to the show for doing something different and subversive this episode and giving us more context of a story that is probably culturally more important than whatever happened in the game, mm -hmm. I think the theme of isolation being ultimately a selfish act in the video game is incredibly important because the opposite of isolation and self-interest is obviously collectivism. And there's nothing in The Last of Us uh, about collectivist themes. So Bill's game arc is the one thing in the game's story 
that I found to be like this educational storyline among all these other kind of murky, morally gray storylines. Hmm. And so that's something I was really hoping to get out of that this is show. So much darker than this episode. I mean, I I understand why they didn't include it mm-hmm. in like a commercial HBO TV show because that is incredibly dark. Yeah. But I I do think that is interesting because as you were talking, I wasn't thinking in show terms of different characters that come into our main character, Joel's life to teach him a lesson. But mm-hmm. obviously in a video game, there's like those segmented pieces of someone coming into the storyline to inform your character's trajectory for the rest of the game. Well, what was weird about the game was that like the only thing that they obviously should have done differently was maybe not kill the only like openly gay characters in mm-hmm. the game or like one of them at least. And I thought in the show they were contextualizing like how their relationship started breaking because Bill was such a pessimist and there was a lot of hope in Frank. Mm -hmm. And so when they were fighting in 2007, I was like, oh, this is great. Like we're going to get this romantic love story, but they fall apart because like Frank uh, starts isolating himself and he becomes hateful and he doesn't like any of those things. And he has seen good in people and Bill's given up on the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a political message to people like the players of the game to the viewers of the show. And when they kind of subvert us and make the whole, I guess, episode three, like the notebook sort of, I'm like into that because it's like a sad tragedy and I love these characters and the performances are great. But there is something again, like educational about this game and what it's presenting with Bill's arc. And I do wish there was some of that, even if it is really dark kind of in this show. It, it yeah, needs well, it. Maybe they didn't need like that dark ending, but kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, some sort of maybe like conversation or just any sort of introduction of a storyline that could point that out about Bill's character would have been fine. Like they didn't even have to go to the extreme or to again, like kill off a character that doesn't get representation yeah. and storylines in, in general. So yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, my extra credit is <laughs> like the opposite of, of yours and that it's the most beautiful moments <laughs> in, in this, this uh, episode. I really liked how we get these, still shots of Frank and Bill's life on their last day. Just these like day-to-day moments that were meaningful to them, like the garden, mm-hmm. the paint, Frank's art, yeah. their home, and, and just these small things that we share with people that we love that end up being most important to us, you know, like what we ultimately cherish in life. That was beautiful. Mine was, it wasn't dark enough. <laughs> you, you weren't kidding. That is literally the opposite. <laughs> um, man, a balance head, so. that was a tragic episode. Yeah. Uh, it did feel like a moment in TV that people are going to remember. Yeah. I think for those who didn't play the video game, I think it's going to be pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, obviously to those who play the video game, it will be interesting to see something that you love on screen that's been adapted and maybe even better mm-hmm. than the game. Even if I kind of wanted the the political motivations of what happens in the video game to kind of still be present in this story. I still really love this episode. Yeah. Well, you're just so thrown off because you don't think you're going to get a love story Mm -hmm. in a pandemic, post-apocalyptic, dystopian story. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Any final questions or predictions for episode four? Do you have anything going into episode four? I think I already made my predictions. I just think now (laughs) my prediction from last episode was we are going to run into people. We are going to meet human beings. Now I think 
we're going to run into people. It's time. Yeah. yeah. We're like halfway through almost. Okay. Well, this has been the extra credits of The Last of Us Episode 3. Long, long time. Please follow the podcast. Subscribe where you get your podcast. You can rate and review us on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you get your podcast. This has been Trey. And this is Kelsey. Peace. Bye. Living in the memory of a love that never was Cause I've done everything I know To try and change your mind And I think I'm